You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into Fireside Chats, episode four. I am your host, Michael Kist, and if you're new to this series, I strongly suggest going back to the first three episodes and giving them a listen. My favorite one to date is our talk with Frank Frigo from Edge Analytics and Edge Sports. That's episode three, and that discussion details how the Eagles created a competitive advantage by adding to their already robust analytics department. It was a great chat, very informative. Today, we have another good one. We're going to be talking defensive back play, and we'll zero in on some Eagles players specifically. We're going to kick it over to that right now. Bleeding Green Nation, please welcome former AFL and NFL defensive back and contributor for 4th and 9. You can follow 4th and 9 at 4th underscore 9. He is Eric Crocker. You can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. His breakdowns are incredible. Eric, thank you for joining us. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait, dude. I, I love your work on the uh, on the timeline there. I've been following you for a little bit, and I really appreciate the context that you bring and, and the technical stuff that you bring to my daily timeline viewing. It's uh, a much better experience than, than a lot of the other stuff going down on Twitter. But before we dive into this, Eric, let the people know uh, your background as a defensive back. Yeah, um, I actually, you know, I went to a smaller school, so I know, you know, some of the guys that might be on your guys' roster or other rosters, just the grind coming from a you know, Division Two, uh, Division Three, just lower level college. Um, I had to find my way. I, I jumped straight to the Arena Football League, so I'm familiar with Philadelphia Soul. They've had a lot of success um, in recent years with uh, Jaworski um, running that program over there. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I went straight to the Arena Football League. Uh, from there, I got my shot with the New York Jets, and I was on and off of that roster for a little bit. And um, and then back to the arena league, but uh, you know I continue you know just learning about the position, learning about you know defenses, and and I just have a like a, you know super strong passion for just the sport of football in general. So yeah, man, I'm just excited that you know Twitter has kind of given me a platform to talk about you know football when my you know my wife she's kind of tired of hearing about it. So <laughs> <laughs> is your goal to to get into to media or are you looking to coach in your area? Like what what drives you as far as just on like a day to day basis? Man, I don't, you know, uh, it's weird. I, I get asked to coach a lot. I mean, I've been asked to coach uh, by pretty much every high school in the area, yeah. um, junior colleges in the area, three junior colleges in the area, um, two uh, universities. I've been asked to, you know, come on as a grad assistant. But 
at 31 years old now, man, it's kind of in having, you know, uh, four kids and, and even taking care of my niece. It's hard. It's hard to jump into coaching like that and kind of commit that kind of time to it. So I, I train athletes. Um, I train defensive backs. I've been doing that for the last few years. I've had a few guys uh, go off to college now. I've trained, you know, a guy like uh, Tremaine Johnson. He's in the NFL. So, you know, I have a lot of fun with that, but I, I probably won't commit to just, you know, coaching at one particular program. I totally understand, dude. I'm 34. My buddy who coaches uh, high school was was bugging me to come coach for him. I'm like, dude, I got I got three kids. I got a regular guitar, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's not enough money. I mean, for, for how hard it is. I mean, unless you – if I was young, if I was – 22, 23, even like 25 years old. And maybe I didn't, if I didn't have as many kids, then that would be something that I could probably pursue. You know, right now, just the, the grind of coaching, the ups and downs, yeah. you know, being fired from one place, having to try to latch on somewhere else, you know, all those different things, man, is it's tough. And, and I commend a lot of coaches for kind of, you know, fighting through that and going through that grind because from year to year, you don't really know where you're going to be. Yeah, for sure. So going back to your time as uh, as a player, uh, what did you find most difficult as you attempted to transition to the league, either from a te uh, technique or maybe a mental processing standpoint? What what was the hardest part for you? Yeah, you know, going from college to the pros. Well, I, I went to the Arena Football League, so that was a totally different game. Right. But but just in general, I think the the biggest thing is go going from a small college where we kind of kept it simple. I, I ran a few different coverages, cover two, cover three, you know, but it, for the most part, we kept it simple. So going to a Rex Ryan type defense, it was like, it, it was simple for the most part, but there were these little things that would just throw me way off or it could throw someone way off. You know, if it's, if it's a bunch formation and you have three receivers, but you have like two inside the numbers and a back to you, you're going to run this type of coverage if you're in the zone. But if you have that same look and it's a man call, then you run this. And, you know, <laughs> depending on which one, I'm supposed to be the guy that's back. Or if it's a man, then I'm at the bottom and then the combos. And I mean, it was just all kind of just stuff where you really had to study the playbook and know it, you know, inside and out to where, you know, when you got into those kind of circumstances, you, you knew it like the back of your hand. And then they walked you through it. You know, it wasn't like they just threw everything at you day one and was like, just, I expect you to know it. You know, they, they start from the very beginning. Um, we had good defensive coaches. We had, uh, you know, obviously Rex Ryan, uh, Dennis Thurman. He, you know, he's a Cowboy great. Tim McDonald, I'm familiar with him growing up as a 49er mm -hmm. fan. You know, we had some really good defensive back coaches. So they tied it the right way. But some of the other guys, they were able to pick up on it quicker because they went to like these bigger colleges with better coaches and they were kind of used to those type of things. Yeah. I wasn't. <laughs> so, and and if you're thinking while trying to play, you're not going to play as fast or as good as you can. So you have to really study a lot. An example of that would be like, you know, you get that bunch and you've got the one, but the one ends up as the three and the three ends up as the one, which one you have. Is that like the type of situation where you have those intersecting routes where you've got to cover a certain guy at the end of the route kind of deal? Right. You know, just, yeah, just things like that. It, it can be on the fly. It can be kind of confusing. Hopefully you kind of and and as a guy that's on the bottom of the roster, you're not going to get as many um, reps yeah. as someone that's a starter so the starters i mean in any particular period where it's, even if it's like seven on seven period the starters probably get 10 to 12 reps yeah the second string something similar to that third string you might get three reps <laughs> so in those three reps you know you can't really mess up you have to learn from the starters but it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to learn from mistakes if, if you can't really make them yourself so yeah it, it, it's tough <laughs> 
kind of along that same line, let's just let's just say you're manned up with someone one on one. What's what's the hardest thing for you, period, as a cover man? What gives you the most trouble? So, you know, everybody's different. And 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 that was one thing I learned, you know, everybody's genetic makeup. So um, just off of my experiences and things that kind of gave me a little bit of trouble. And I see that a lot throughout the league. I was a bigger cornerback, you know, six one, you know, around 200 pounds. Well, naturally, our leg turnover and foot speed isn't as quick, you know, transitioning as someone that's 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". Playing off coverage and having to quickly react to a receiver that's running full speed at you then suddenly stops and, and just kind of getting in and out of your break as quickly as possible, those things can be extremely difficult for, for someone that's a little bit yeah. taller. So that, that was the first thing. So a lot of times, you know, you see bigger guys and they're more comfortable in press coverage and they're more comfortable because, you know, they don't have to deal with that, yeah. that foot turnover. So that that was one thing that I, I, I probably had the most issues. I don't want to say issues because it wasn't like a huge problem, but perfecting off coverage or trying to get better at off coverage, that's definitely a challenge for a taller DB like myself. Yeah, and I definitely noticed that because I watched the the you know the draft prospects coming out a lot, and you notice that with some of the taller, higher hipped corners that they have trouble in off coverage. They're perfectly fine at the line making man turns and all that stuff, but you get them out into space, and sometimes sometimes they, it can be a little tricky for them. And we're gonna actually talk about a guy that the Eagles uh, traded for that I kind of saw that on his tape too here in a little bit. But before we get to some of the Eagles talk, I got one more question, and this one's more for me personally, uh, just because I think it's interesting. So when dropping into coverage, did you prefer to to shuffle like Nick Saban coaches, or were you more comfortable in a backpedal and and why? I, I like the backpedal. And, and one thing I learned from Arena Football League, our coach taught us some really good things with backpedaling, using our inside leverage, and using our leverage step. And that made my off coverage, which is something I struggled with most of my life, that made me so much better just in a backpedal. Um, shuffling, I'm definitely fine with that. Typically more so in the zone. I don't really care so much to shuffle if I'm in off man coverage mm. because a lot of times you can't be inside leverage and shuffle. Yeah. And I don't like playing outside in straight man coverage. You're giving up slants easily. You're giving up digs easily. You're giving up post easily, or you have to use some super athleticism to be able to make a play. That was my thing. You know, I've heard Saban say that he doesn't teach the backpedal. You know, what I tell my kids that I, I train is we're going to work everything. So whatever college you go to, you'll be the most prepared for that, for whatever scheme, whatever technique that they have you use. So I, I still teach the backpedal, even though I know most of the times, if you're just watching the game, you don't see a lot of backpedaling. But I do see the Eagles defensive backs backpedaling a little bit. So yeah. um, they, they, they definitely still use yeah, it. Yeah, they definitely got a nice little mix there. And with that said, let's transition to the Eagles uh, secondary as a perfect segue there. I saw you were taking a peek at them today on the old Twitter timeline. And the first tweet was in regard to cornerback Jalen Mills who was whiffing hard on a tackle in the Cleveland Browns game. Um, I've often talked about Mills's volatility, where he goes on these roller coaster stretches of play that can be really good or really bad. What has been your overall impression of Jalen Mills as a cornerback? I like him. He's scrappy. He's aggressive. But because so today I was getting caught up on just like the third preseason game, seeing the starters, seeing how you know they're mm-hmm. playing, where guys are lining up. I saw some surprising things that we'll get to. But um, overall, I mean, I, I've been watching Jalen Mills for you know some years now since he was at LSU, and one one thing I've noticed, especially last year, I saw a lot of teams take advantage of it, was 
you know, they, they take advantage of how aggressive he, he yeah. is. So, you know, if he's in off coverage and you run that slant, he's driving on that slant. He's been hit with double moves countless amount of times. I, I, I can see that being an issue, but it's, it's, it's tough because you don't want to take away their aggressiveness because if somebody is running a slant, you want him to drive on that and make a play and, you know, break up a pass. So it's really tough, but I'd say more than maybe any other corner, I've seen him get beat on double moves. I, I know I saw him get beat really badly versus the uh, Raiders, I believe. You know, it was just something that I just saw happen, you know, a few too many times last season compared to other corners around the league. Yeah, it happened to him against the Giants, and then the Oakland Raiders came right back and hit him with a sluggo with Amari Cooper, yeah. uh, which went for a score. And yeah, he he really, really struggled with that. But then at the same time, too, and we'll get into the other guys more specifically, but it, it is important to note that Ronald Darby struggled with it with a little bit uh, as well. There were also some sluggos and double moves that he played really well, but he got beat on a few of them pretty badly. Um, a couple of them weren't thrown, but I definitely saw them on the coach's film. Mm-hmm. Sidney Jones in week 17 last year in action against the Dallas Cowboys, he bit hard on a slant on a sluggo. At, at some point with all these corners biting on these doggone things, uh, a lot of the fans ask me, when do you start putting that on the coaching? Are they coaching them that way and just taking the risk with it? Yeah, I mean, they're they're telling them to play aggressive and, and that's what they're doing. Their way to kind of eliminate that or say, you know, me, you know, me being a 49er fan and room for the 49ers and seeing the defense that we play, it's hard to beat 49ers on double moves because our corners a lot of times play press. So, mm. You know, if you're if you run a, a slant and go, you can't really. They wouldn't even really attack the 49ers like that because they are playing so much press. You know, so that that's not the something. Angle's different, right? Yeah, you know, if somebody runs a slant and go from and you're in press, you're you're fine. <laughs> the issue with what's happening with you guys is you guys are off, and as soon as they see a slant, they're driving on it hard, and the receiver just goes in. I mean, you know, that's a it's a big, it's an empty feeling as a cornerback because <laughs> you know it's nothing Nothing good is going to come from this. Just hope maybe the D-line gets there fast enough, which you guys definitely have a great defensive line. Yeah. Or, you know, hopefully it's a bad pass, but um, a lot of times it's, it's not good. And so after Mills gets – and this is the part that's really impressive about Mills's game. I don't think Jalen Mills, other than when they're in the film room looking at it, ever remembers getting beat because he comes out the next drive and he's just as cocky and just as aggressive <laughs> as he was the last drive. And you have to be like yeah. that. You, you have to be like that as a cornerback because you are going to get beat, especially if you're playing off like that and you're on the island. It's tough. It's tough. So – I commend him for that. You know, he, he definitely does not lose that swagger. And that's that's one thing I really do like about him. Yeah, definitely. Did you see anything else from Mills from a technical standpoint or was everything pretty much uh, par for the course and, and kind of adequate to solid with him? Yeah, from from a technical standpoint, he's fine. He gets in and out of the breaks very quickly. Um, he's aggressive. Uh, you know, obviously, like the clip I posted, he missed a tackle there. And, you know, I've seen a few of your guys kind of miss some tackles. He actually missed another tackle uh, later mm. In that in that half on the running back that bounced outside, but uh, just a pure you know coverage standpoint, I, I love him. Um, he just sometimes gets beat on those things, but you know in a big time moment uh, going up against Julio Jones, I mean he makes a play that probably you know wins the game for you guys. So 
there's been a lot of talk surrounding Mills, uh, and I think that's quieted down recently with with Sidney Jones going into nickel and uh, Mills having reportedly a, a fantastic camp. But uh, something that the, the the fans have talked about a lot, and some writers have maybe suggested, is moving Mills to safety. The coaching staff doesn't seem really interested in that, at least not at the moment. Do you, did you notice anything in his game that would suggest that he might thrive there more, or would you not move him? I wouldn't move him. Yeah, uh, I would think maybe sl- uh, the slot, which is. And, and that was one thing that kind of was uh, rumored. Yeah, I, I, I raised my eyebrow. Not even rumors. I mean, I don't hear ego rumors like that. But just you know, putting on the film and seeing Sidney Jones in the slot instead of somebody that's more quick footed, like a uh, Jalen Mills in the slot, that was kind of interesting to me because I, I think in the slot that that's where Mills would probably strive the most with how quick footed he is, how aggressive he is. You know, being able to play you know two way goes mm. and things like that. I think he'd be probably great there where somebody like you know Sidney Jones who first thing I think of is myself because he's a taller cornerback and like I said sometimes that's that's a tougher transition you know just because of your foot turnover and things like that you know if you if you're if you're 6'1 and you're guarding somebody like uh Cole Beasley who you guys play twice a year well you know him if he goes if he runs at you goes right and then cuts back left by the time he cuts back left Sidney Jones is just going to be putting his foot down just because, you know, his for every two steps Beasley takes, you know, Sidney Jones is going to take like one. So that's going to be kind of difficult for him covering guys like that in a tight space. That That's why it was kind of a little more interesting uh, to see Sidney Jones in the slot than someone like Jalen Mills. And if you look around the league, a lot of cornerbacks, uh, slot cornerbacks are shorter uh, just for that, that yeah. reason. And I, I, I implore you to to go watch Sidney Jones and really watch his feet because I think he's got quicker for a taller guy. I think his feet are some of the quicker ones of the taller cornerbacks. And w- with him being penciled in as the starter, uh, he basically redshirted last year after the Achilles injury. How does coming back from an injury affect a player either mentally or from a technical standpoint? How tough is that to, to move on from that? You know, fortunately for me, I didn't have to deal with, you know, any injuries like that. I think uh, my going into my senior year of college, I broke my jaw. That, <laughs> that was like the most uh, on a punt return. I got hit on a punt return in in, uh, in spring ball and broke my jaw. But outside of that, I didn't have to deal with uh, knee injuries or ankle injuries like that. Something that kind of messed up my, my, my psyche a little bit. So, mm-hmm. but that's the one thing I do here is it's the mental part that's hard to get over. You know, some guys, they're not comfortable or they're not confident working on breaking certain ways or they might be a little bit more hesitant. And, and I saw that a little bit with, like, Richard Sherman when he first was coming back. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think that there's still a little bit with that. And, and, and a lot of it is a mental thing. You, you It's like you're thinking about it, but you're not thinking about it, but you do things just kind of overcompensate. And, and that's when you typically see other injuries, like Richard Sherman pulling his hamstring going what going into the first uh, preseason yeah. game, he pulled his hamstring. A lot of that might have to do with him overcompensating and using different muscles just to kind of because he doesn't trust the Achilles yet. Yeah, that's interesting too because I uh, right before my senior year, I I shattered my tibia. I got a titanium plate in there, two titanium screws, and then when I came back, everything was leaning to the left, and I ended up tearing up some ligaments in in my left ankle. It was the opposite ankle, just because that mental thing is always uh, right there for when you're coming back. It's definitely there. Other than that, Sidney Jones, man, coming out of Washington was a highly regarded prospect. Obviously, he had that Achilles injury, but probably goes 14 to the Eagles if uh, if he doesn't have that injury. Uh, probably goes top 20 if he doesn't go to the Eagles anyway. Right. He's very highly regarded, and he looked good. 
I, I know I talked about him in the slot and it being kind of surprising, but um, and and that was surprising too, <laughs> that you know how good he looks. Uh, you know, overall, you guys definitely have a tremendous. Uh, what do you think about him? And because I didn't think I, I was probably like you in my original thought was like I don't know if I like Sydney in the because because the way he played in college they they've kind of played that cover three and you see him on the outside of it all the time and you get that that idea in your head that that's his scheme that's what he should be in and then you see that he's going to start in the nickel you're like whoa that's not that's not what I expected at all so uh, <laughs> how, how did he surprise you as far as how he uh, fared there. Well, I, th- I just thought, you know, just the, the first, my initial reaction was, oh, he's a bigger corner. You know, how does he move? And he, he showed um, quick feet and stuff like that. So that part of it was good. Um, I saw him driving on stuff and, and uh, it looked like he was comfortable uh, moving around. I saw him moving from one side to the other with Jarvis mm-hmm. Landry. So I thought that that was really good. You know, and even in his zones, when he did some of his zone drops, you guys ran a, um, a lot of man uh, early in that, but um, in his own drops, he looked good. I, I just think overall, and you got to see where he's coming from, too. He's coming from Washington, and, and they, they do a really good job of coaching up their defensive backs, getting them ready for the NFL. So it, it's not surprising that he's having the success or, or being able to jump in there and be a starter, you know, after tearing up his Achilles. You guys look like you guys are pretty set. And, and you guys had Patrick Robinson playing very well there last year. So, you know, yeah. you, don't, you definitely don't want to see a drop off, and, and it's good to see somebody step in and be able to play well. For sure, for sure. Okay, so going to the uh, the last starter of the cornerbacks, Ronald Darby had a super hot start to his career as a rookie in Buffalo and then cooled in the second year and then had that short season with the ankle dislocation last year. Um, his athleticism is excellent, um, but it seems like there's just something that hasn't clicked for him to put it all together to get to back where he was as a rookie. What do you see in his game that he might need to improve to get him to that next level? Because I think he's, I think he's very close to to becoming that, you know, that next step up. I, I think in time, like you said, you know, there, there's going to be times where he gets beat, but you know, just watching him, just watching the way he moves, and I saw him backpedal and break, and I was like, man, that's that's some impressive stuff right there. He he covered the guy with there was no wasted steps. The, the you know the, that's a that's a clip right there that I would show to my kids. Like man, look how this guy played that. You know he he stayed square. He, you know regardless of which play, which way the guy it was uh, Higgins. Yeah. I believe that's his name. A receiver for the Browns. Um, he ran like a deep uh, mm-hmm. dig route, and I mean Darby was all over it. Broke and the way he accelerated to the receiver, he drove the man first. It was pretty much textbook. I'll, I'll probably post it on Twitter <laughs> later for you, uh, Eagle fans. But a lot of a lot of defensive back man is confidence. So as long as you can kind of keep that confidence up and, and you make a few plays, you'll see a defensive back that is like, man, where'd this guy come from? Okay, so we've covered the uh, we've covered the two outside corners. We've covered the, covered the nickel position. There's a trade that just happened here, and uh, I, I want to kind of tie this in together with another player. Malcolm Jenkins took a while um, when he entered the NFL to hit the heights that he has as a player, partially due to his transition from quarterback to safety. This is something that the newly acquired DeAndre Hall who the Eagles just traded for, is going through as well. And even though he played some safety in college, he's been at corner in the pros for the past couple of years with the Bears. How hard is it to make the switch like that? And is there a time frame on how long it might take a player for it to become more second nature for them? So, you know, on Hall, the, the transition from corner to safety is definitely a lot easier than, you know, going the other way, going from safety to cornerback. With him, especially depending on the scheme, a lot of it's going to have to do with just how quickly he's able to process kind of the whole field. You know, being a safety, he's going to have to be able to read crossers and things like that. A lot of it is like a field type thing, but 
for a single high, a lot of times the, the the best thing is just to have somebody that's definitely, you know, really athletic. And this is kind of an extreme, you know, safety, but Earl Thomas, you know, he's kind of the, you know, when you think about single high safety, that's who you want your guy to play like. You want him to play like Earl Thomas. I mean, Earl Thomas, it seems like for whatever reason, he starts off at that single high. And if it's a run play, by the end, by the start of the play, he's at the line of scrimmage somehow. And if it's a pass play, he's sideline to sideline. It's like, man, how does he do that? But he's very instinctive. Uh, so with Hall, he if he can kind of watch some of that and if they can coach him up right, that's what's going to help him with his his process. But he just has to see it quick. NFL quarterbacks, it's not like college where a college quarterback might stare something down. The NFL guys, they'll, they'll look him off. And if, he, if you guys are in a single high defense and they look him off, there's nobody to help the cornerback on the other side. Yeah, and one thing I noticed about his game is that especially in run support, he feels that run and the direction and where the blocks are going to be coming from and uh, destroys those angles with just with just getting there first. And he's a really dependable tackler. What I'm concerned is, is early in his career, I saw some mental lapses where he could be baited into some stuff pre-snap and you worry if, you know, with how aggressive that the Eagles secondary is. We covered a lot of the Eagles stuff that I wanted to talk about. I got one more question for you uh, before we, before we uh, let you go here, Eric. Uh, we've all seen these one-on-one drills during training camps uh, and they get plastered all over Twitter during the time. It's the only thing going on. Um, they're obviously tilted in favor of the receiver. What does a defensive back have to do in that hostile environment to survive those drills? It's an offensive drill. So I'd say about 70% of the time, the offense is really supposed to win because the quarterback, there's no pass rush. He can just kind of sit back, pick a spot where he wants to throw the ball, when he wants to throw it. Um, the receiver has a ton of time to be able to you know, get the cornerback, kind of set him up how he wants to. So I don't put a whole lot of stock in one-on-ones. But one thing as a defensive backward I like to work on, which is something that I want to work on for that week, I kind of had to teach myself how to play defensive back, and, I, and a lot of it came from doing one-on-ones. This week, I'm not going to really care too much about whatever happens, but I just want to make sure that I get my head around in a timely manner to make mm-hmm. a play on the ball. Or, you know, if I'm working press this week, I just want to work press, and I want to make sure that, you know, nobody gets a clean inside release and I don't get upfield shoulder. You know, there's just little things that I will work on, and, and that's what I think in the NFL – you know, as a defensive back, those are things that you want to work on. Then if you get caught up on not really working on anything, but just covering the guy in front of you, you're not really going to get any better. And I know at the end of the day, you might end up on somebody's highlight film. We saw Richard Sherman get toasted by Marquise Goodwin and it went viral. You can't worry about those things. You just have to continue to focus on what it is that you need to do to get better and what you were trying to accomplish on that rep. Makes a lot of sense, man. I love it. Eric, thank you so much for uh, for uh, joining us today. Uh, will you let the listeners know where they can follow you and, uh, and all your work? Yeah, man, you can follow me, Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. And uh, I also write for the 4th and 9 blog. So it's 4th uh, underscore 9. That's me and my guy, Dylan Desimone. We kind of really try to go in depth and try to give the you know 49er fans just something a little bit different. It's not just, hey, this guy did good today, this guy did bad or whatever. We try to dive into exactly what happened, why it happened. And sometimes it's hard for me to watch football because I get so into, oh, this happened because of this and that. I can't even just watch football and enjoy it. But we try to uh, cover all those things so it's not just uh, – so people really truly understand, you know, exactly what's happening with, with certain players. So. Yeah, man, it's a good it's a good follow. Even if you're not a 49er fan, you know, you'll hopefully one day we meet up in the NFC Championship or something. And I don't know if we're that close yet, but. <laughs>
Definitely, man. You guys are a, a team, uh, a team on the rise, and I look forward to uh, talking with you then. And uh, definitely, listeners, give give Eric a uh, a follow, man. You you'll learn a lot from him, Eric, man. Thanks for joining us, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us for another great discussion here on Bleeding Green Nation. As always, we appreciate the support, the five star ratings, the written reviews. They all go a long way in allowing us to continue to bring this content to you. Tomorrow, we've got a new Kist and Solak show coming your way that previews the week one matchup between the Eagles and Falcons as we open up the 2018 NFL season. Very exciting times. Thank you for listening. And remember, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Philly's history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.